Today is January 26, 2014. Our message this morning is called Raised in Glory. Raised in Glory. So the song that Matthew wrote, that we played that last song of worship, he was 17 years old when he wrote, I don't want your diamonds, I don't want your pearls, I don't want the riches of this world. We were at a crossroads in our lives. We were young men and we were being told if we did not go the traditional route, if we didn't do the things that all the older worldly wise men around us told us needed to be done, we would be losers for the rest of our lives. Well, our king has a way of taking losers and turning them into victors. Amen. Of all the things that Matthew Pirro is, a loser has never crossed my mind. The man loves the Lord, has got a beautiful wife and family, and has been serving God faithfully since the moment he met him. Oh, there are no losers in Christ, saints. It kind of became an anthem for me of where to set our aim. This morning, Psalm 49 discusses some of these things. So pick up with me in the first verse. Hear this, all you peoples. What do you mean, you people? Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all you who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast about their great riches? Men will brag about athletic accomplishments. They will brag about their business prowess. They'll brag about their conquest of the opposite sex. But the only thing worth bragging about in this entire creation is that the presence of God dwells among you. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. What a strange thing that Psalm says no man can ransom the life of another. And yet the man, Jesus, is a ransom for our lives. He must be something more than a man. He must not be a man only or a man just. He's a man with the treasure of the heavens in him, the fullness of the deity in bodily form. And when a life like that was given, a great cost was paid. Oh man, if you understand what the King of Kings has done for us, you can't have another sad day. If you understand what the King of Kings has done for us, you can't spend one more moment a victim. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. If the King of Kings paid a price for you, then that says something about how much value he's placed on you. Nobody spends the most precious thing they have to obtain something they don't value. So if he spent the most precious thing he had to obtain you, it's because he values you. There's only one man that's ever walked the face of the earth whose life could redeem another. And that life was given to redeem you. 
oh man, you are worth something to the king of kings. We can put that in our self-esteem pipe and smoke it today. We can get high on the Holy Ghost today. The very spirit of holiness can invade a man's heart and put a stamp from God that says you are worth something. You've been credited with righteousness and your life never has to be the same. So I ask you, saints, what do you value? See, because that feeling, that feeling is priceless. For all I can see that wise men die. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. Have you ever walked past a building and seen the name on it? Must have been important to somebody on Sunday. But what happens when you don't even know who they are? See, men are going to leave monuments to their lives behind. But those monuments will burn with everything else. The real question is, do we have a monument in the heavenlies? Is there a record in the heavenlies? Have your deeds followed you for an eternity? See, the living God is recording our lives in books. Those books will one day be open and they will speak volumes about what you thought about him. We know from this book what he thinks about you. But your life is creating a book that says what you think about him. And on the day the books are open, there'll be nowhere to hide. Earth and sky flee from his presence. And yet it is not fear that drives me towards him. I'm compelled by love for him because he valued me when I didn't even value myself. Somebody say amen. Amen. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beast that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve of their sayings. Oh, isn't that the truth? It's not enough for us to be self-deceived. What we like to do is gather men around us who say, that's right, that's right. You know, I love responsive churches. You know, I'm working with even you white folks in here to say it's okay to speak out loud in church. Been doing it for years now. Even Lindsay, who descends from a Nordic line, is learning to agree out loud. Amen? But I have noticed people will amen in a congregation when the man is absolutely wrong. <laughs> Somebody can be preaching about a Wells Fargo truck, truck that is turned over and God has poured out riches for you and everybody's amen, amen, amen. You know, we tend to want to gather around us people who agree with us, but what if the crowd is wrong? One of the great enlightening things about having my father be the principal of the high school that I graduated from just barely, praise God, was I got to hear it a thousand times over. It's not little Johnny. It's not little Susie that's really the problem. The problem is they just in with the wrong crowd. Well, as a lifelong member of the wrong crowd, I had to wonder if little little Johnny and little Susie are not part of the wrong crowd. Who is the wrong crowd? I learned that it's everybody except your kid. 
That's what I learned with a private school education. The blame is always somewhere else. This morning, I wanted to rightly adjust our hearts and say, what is it that we treasure? Do we treasure the things that men praise or do we treasure the things that our God praises? Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from the princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to see himself. This became our anthem, our very heart. We were not living for the mansions that money could buy in this life. We were not living for diamonds or pearls that we could give the women that we were in love with. Singular woman. Matthew and I in love with women. Matthew alone in love with a woman. Eric and Lo alone in love with a woman. We're not that kind of church. Let me just go ahead and get this disclaimer out there. One man, one woman, all your life long and better off for it. Amen. Miss Jennifer got me young and raised me the way she wants me. Like a cougar and its cub. <laughs> I got one more day till we're the same age, baby. So what I was saying <laughs> when I was preaching is that everything that a man could gather in this life is worthless when we stand before the Lord if we did not use those things for him. I don't want a thing that's not to be put to use in the kingdom. I don't need anything that might seduce my heart away from the kingdom because for me, it's the kingdom or nothing at all. How many of you are with me? This church does pretty good with this, but I think it's right that as long as we're in the tent of this body, we remind you of these things. Turn with me to Luke 16. Say there when you're there. Come on now. There, there. Come on, there, there we say. Some more of you waiting on you. Sydney, you there? Get there, girl. Come on now. Here comes Luke 16. Check out verse 14 with me. The Pharisees who tithed well. What they love? Oh, man, we don't know anybody loves money. This is America's idolatry. I mean, it is. Uh, money's more addictive than heroin. And the more of it you get, the more of it you want. And pretty soon you think that the only reason anybody wants to hang out with you is because you got some and they don't. It's sad. So in that way, it isolates us. It makes us unproductive. And in the end, it's ultimately hollow. You need to eat, and your heavenly Father knows that. You need clothes, and your heavenly Father knows that. You need a place to lay your head, and your heavenly Father knows that. But we don't run after these things because pagans do that. We run after righteousness. The Pharisees who loved the money <laughs> heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. It's very, very important that we come to our senses, that we take off our worldly eyes 
and ask heaven to give us the right eyes. Because the things that are highly valued in our society, God might find detestable. With us, instant gratification is where it's at. With us, the boasting of what one has and does is where it's at. In some countries, to have gray hair is an honor. In this one, it's something to be dyed. Hearing me, brother? I'm trying to say something. Sometimes what we value is just off base. And God is trying to correct it. He's adjusting the needle of our heart so that it points in the right direction. Listen to the next verse. It's so important. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. It takes a certain Holy Ghost forcefulness. Hutchinson called it a shameless audacity to follow the living God because he will tell you to go after something that everybody else calls worthless. I told my neighbors yesterday, I couldn't wait to tell them. I'm moving. Oh, we're sorry to see that. Now I'm thinking, I bet you aren't. We put 70 cars out here every Monday night. But I didn't tell them that. I was good. Where are you moving? Are you moving into First Colony? You moving off of Sweetwater? Where are you moving? I said, I'm moving to Mission Leona. Lady couldn't help it. She said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, I'm not sorry. My life's ambition is to be in the place that God has planted me. How many people can say that? How many people can say, I know being beyond any shadow of a doubt, it was not the size of a home. It was not the uh, colors of the walls or the school districts that chose where I'm living. The living God planted me where I'm living. Now, she doesn't know it yet because she's remodeling her house for about the third time. But she ought to be envious because one thing I know after living next to them for eight years, they don't know why they're on this ball of dirt spinning around the sun. They're nice people, but they are not motivated of heaven. They're content to live and let live, and it's hard for them to understand somebody like us. Saints, when you value the heavenly, people will start to take notice because your actions don't make sense. The deductive reasoning that they might use, it doesn't apply to us. Why, I heard a testimony this morning from Brother Doug. He walked in and repented to a boss who didn't think he had done anything wrong. Who does something like that? Oh, the saints of the living God do those kind of things because we're working to earn the favor of our boss on high not our boss on earth and an amazing thing happened it touched her heart and she decided to help him rather than hurt him but healed or hurt friends I'm heaven bound I'm on my way to the kingdom and whether I got a limp crawl push or drag makes no difference to me because I know where the treasure is the heavenly treasure is not found in earthly things oh come on now 
How about we do this? Turn with me to Matthew 6. See if this says it for us. Matthew 6 in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In our lives, we are confronted with a problem. The things that God values are not always easily seen. The things that men value are tactile. They can be touched. They can be perceived. They can be flaunted like trophies. And this presents us with a problem. We have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. We have to learn to trust in the very word of God rather than what our senses tell us. And it's difficult. David looked like an outlaw. He looked like the dregs of the earth. One time he even pretended to be insane and everybody believed it. It wasn't that far from the truth in their eyes. But in God's eyes, he was a king awaiting his kingdom. Jesus could be thought to be a confused Jewish boy. He could be thought to be one of the prophets. He could be thought to be so many things, but in God's eyes, he is a king whose kingdom is coming upon us, and in my eyes as well. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This seems like nonsense to the 21st century. In the first century, you could tell whether a man had good eyes or bad eyes by what he valued. And if he was a generous man, he was said to have good eyes because when he looked, he saw something that only God could see. The need to have compassion, the need to be full of mercy, the need to see potential in another human being to become something more than they are today. If a man's eyes were bad, it would show up in his stingy behavior. Everything would be about him, for him, and through him. It would all be about his own right arm and not at all about the kingdom. This was a euphemism for a good eye and a bad eye. A good eye was a generous man and a bad eye was a stingy man. So Jesus follows up this teaching with this verse. No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think the least understood passage in the church is probably this one because the church loves money. As an empire, it stretched around the globe, even earned itself a seat in the United Nations. If indeed you can accept that as a church. It said that a medieval bishop once remarked when looking at the treasuries to the Pope, We can no longer say silver and gold, have we not? 
course, neither can they say, stand up and walk. Chosen their master and suffered the consequence. Today, I choose a different master. I will not live for the accumulation of things. In fact, I live to distribute them. I have found out that it is actually more blessed to give than receive, and I'm not trying to fill an offering box. The great highlights of my life, of my children's lives, and of my friends' lives have been in building houses for people that didn't have them, feeding children who didn't have food, and reaching out and giving friendship to someone who needed it. These are the real treasures And people pass by those opportunities every single day, busy accumulating wealth. How much would be enough, friends? You know, I've been around a lot of people. And when they read the parable of the rich young ruler, nobody ever sees themselves as the rich young ruler. They're always sure that it's somebody on their block with a bigger house, but it's not them. You know, in our news media, we like to talk about fat cats. But who are the fat cats? Well, if you make a million dollars a year, then it must be whoever makes $10 million a year. If you make $10 million a year, it must be somebody who makes $58 million a year. Do you know Justin Bieber made $58 million last year? $58 million. You know why? Because that is something that Americans value. We'll even let a Canadian come here and sing to us and pay him $58 million a year. Start a movement, Bieber fever. What do we value? What if we valued the Great Commission in that way? What if little girls swooned at the thought of souls being saved? What if parents didn't go buy lunch boxes with an effeminate young male on it, but instead, is that not right to say? I thought he was 13. I didn't know he was 20-something, okay? What if, what if we valued the Great Commission in that way? What if your child lived for the opportunity to put a brick in a building in an orphanage in Africa? What if your child grew up with the highest calling that they could receive in life being the opportunity to give their life for the gospel? Oh, this would be a more biblical society. Our money says in God we trust. And that might be the truest thing that was ever printed on a dollar. It just depends on the definition of who your God is, doesn't it? Turn with me to Matthew 13. Boy, worship was good today, wasn't it? Every time you get discouraged while I'm preaching, just think how good worship was. In Matthew 13, I want to talk to you about what real treasure is. It'll be the 52nd verse. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law, every teacher of what? Who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When we receive a revelation from heaven 
and we begin to put it into practice on the earth, this is like taking a heavenly treasure and storing it in your own heart. When we have the opportunity to hear from God, we need to stop and think about that for a minute, you crazy Protestants, charismatics, Pentecostals, I don't know what you are, spirit-filled Christians. Think about it for a minute. Don't take it for granted. You can't get an audience with the President of the United States without lots and lots of money. That's not just true of this president. It's true of all of them. But the king of kings will honor you with his presence in here simply out of your earnest worship. How special is that? You have the opportunity. In Matthew 16, a poor fisherman who valued Jesus enough to walk away from his family business, a poor fisherman received a revelation that came from heaven that the very church is built upon. What do we value? You know, the fastest way to upset everybody in the room was talk about how much TV we watch, how much radio we listen to. Talk about how much time we spend in prayer and reading the Word, but I'm not going to talk about those things. The better question is not how much time, but when is the last time heaven spoke to you? Are you satisfied with 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Because you can have that kind of treasure daily, and it's better than bread, friends. Jesus said we could have daily bread, but this is called treasure in this verse. I want the storehouses of heaven. I want my footsteps on earth to mean something. One day your life is going to be over and it could be summarized in a single sentence. Either you did or did not do God's will for your life. You either did or did not fulfill your purpose. Every day we ought to be on a treasure hunt for God's will. That requires constant course correction. Not one of us can hear from God 20 years ago and 20 years later arrive on the mark without constant course correction. People who study maps for a living, people who try to follow compass headings, you find out there's something called magnetic declination. Every degree you go north, every foot you go north, you find out your compass is not actually true north and you have to make course corrections. In the kingdom, we are always making course corrections. And those those little words from heaven are not punishment. It's treasure. Because it ensures that you get where you're going, the very salvation of your soul and resurrection of your body. If the last section we just talked about was about the treasury of heaven, this one, if you put it in your notes, could be about broken things. You know, when we talk about broken things, Al's sitting back there on the sound booth. It's hard to tell whether Al's sitting or standing because the man's like 5 feet 19 inches tall, you know. He was reading to me yesterday. Al likes to pick on me about barbecue sauce, salsa, and in general, all things that can be related to the north versus the south. (laughs) But there is one that goes past our geographical biases, and much deeper into my own heart. He read me a story. Father told his son, 
after walking him to school six miles. He said, son, in my day, we had to walk to school and back every day. The little boy smiled and looked up at his daddy and said, did your daddy own a Ford too? We'll let that sink in for just a minute. I didn't appreciate Alice's joke. As I was fixing my truck that day. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Let's talk about broken things. In Psalm 51, slide your finger down to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This word create is bara. It is, it's a verb, of course, that means to create, but this verb only ever has God as its subject. Men don't bara. Animals don't bara. Only God can bara. It means to create out of nothing. Create in me out of nothing a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth and declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This psalm's been preached about more than maybe any other. David is talking about the things that he treasures. Oh, don't take your spirit from me, Lord. He treasured the very presence of God. And then he began to say, with your presence, I'll teach sinners to come back to you. I'll sing of your righteousness. And I ask you, what state is he saying all of these things in? He's just blown it bigger than day. This is after he sinned with Bathsheba. He'd gone after something that the world would value. The lust of the eyes. He had gone after something that didn't belong to him. God would have given him so many good things. But he went after the things that he valued and God did not. And in the midst of his brokenness of an empty pursuit and the death that it caused, he said, you have to start over again in my heart, Lord. There's literally nothing here that is redeeming. But if you will give me your presence again, if you will simply drop into me something that's worthwhile, I will so treasure it and value it that I will share it with everyone I meet. Oh, this is the heart of the redeemed, friends. It's the song of the redeemed. It's it's our praise. It's that we had nothing of worth 
And we found everything that matters. And we want everyone to have it. This ought to be the anthem of the church, not the boasting of Bentleys and the cracking of Darren Perrion. These are things that pass away. But the joy of seeing a little kid in a remote village in Africa get filled with the Holy Ghost, that's something that even heaven treasures. Come on now. Where's our hearts? Most of you are with me. I know you are because you've been paying for this kind of work to be done for years and you've joined right in it. I'm so proud of what this church does, but it's ever course correcting. It's not one time so we can put a plaque on our wall and feel better about ourselves. It is our very inexhaustible debt before God. Leave no debt outstanding except that of love. If we love God, we will express it by loving our fellow man. Amen? Amen. How can you express the great affection you feel for the Savior? Well, you find somebody that he cares about and you show them. Turn with me to Mark 14. He uses the broken. Say there when you're there. In Mark 14, let us pick up in the third verse. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known Simon the leper. Where is Jesus? He's in whoever's house you would not feel comfortable going to. Where is Jesus? He's in the house of a man known as Simon the leper. I want you to think about that for a minute. You've heard the stories. In this day, lepers wore bells upon them to warn people they were coming. Nobody wanted to come into contact with a leper. It was a fearful thing. Anybody seen an armadillo? They have the most amazing defense they leap straight up into the air when threatened. It's a fantastic defense against almost nothing, (laughs) particularly a charging Ford truck. An armadillo is not one of those animals that you grab and you think, you know, I would like to take this home and snuggle. (laughs) It's one of the only live carriers of leprosy in the whole animal kingdom. And it said that some 80 people a year contract leprosy through contact with armadillos. I didn't even know it was possible till I saw the video. Jesus is eating in the home of Simon the leper. That's a message all in of itself, but it's not our message today. A woman came with an alabaster jar of cheap perfume. What's it say? I mean, she got this out of a corner, quarter dispenser and a truck stop. It's Seabass's favorite, right? Some kind of nasty perfume. It's not what it says, is it? What kind of perfume did she have? Expensive. Are there any of you in here that are so pious you would think, oh, 
What is she doing with expensive perfume? Some of you girls in here ought to be going, <laughs> it's biblical. She had, she had expensive perfume. I never bought my wife very many things. Uh, she still wears little rings I bought her in high school when we were lost, but they're sentimental. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say I hate our wedding rings worse than life itself. It pulls the hair out of my beard. Uh, it's, it's terrible. It's got a little spinning thing on it that catches everything. And uh, more than once, it has scratched my face just by touching my face, but I don't take it off. Praise God. Been wearing it 21 years now. My skin underneath is marked. Amen. Expensive things are not our thing, you know. But expensive things are not wrong. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure, pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Oh, it's not wrong to have things. The question is, what do you intend to do with them? Are you hearing me? Now, as long as this jar is completely intact, it's worthless. It's just an item. You can't smell perfume inside that jar. It's sealed. So why do you have it? And how long has she been keeping it? Come on, ladies. You know what I'm talking about. She probably put it in a conspicuous place in her house, you know, just so everybody knew that she had access to that. I mean, she parked it in her driveway and washed it so all the neighbors could see what she had. Christians, we're the worst. We say none of it matters to us, and then we do everything the world does. doesn't matter to us as long as we get everything we ever wanted. Why did she have it? Well, I don't know what she planned to do with it before this day. But I know on this day, she did something amazing with it. It is not wrong for you to have nice things, but I want to ask you, do they belong to the Lord or you? Isn't that interesting? And we always say that it belongs to the Lord, but what happens when he wants it? It's not uncommon for somebody to say their car belongs to the Lord. Ask them to borrow it. God blessed me with this car. This car is for the Lord's use. Well, good. I belong to the Lord. Can I borrow your car? Get out of here. You're not insured, you know. Well, if it was the Lord's and it was for His use, why didn't you insure it? Because the truth is, the Lord became an excuse to have what we have. We never intended for anybody to use it. This could be convicting, you know. But that's not my intent. My intent is that she took that jar and she broke it. In the world's eyes, that ruins it. A broken thing is not what anybody wants. But in God's eyes, it is a beautiful thing. See, when it was broken, it lost all worldly value, but suddenly it gained heaven's value. Listen to what Jesus said about it. 
Oh, I'm sorry, verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. There's nothing people like to do more than scorn about other people's waste while ignoring their own. Ask Al Gore. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Why is it beautiful? It's beautiful because it shows a priority. I could have kept it. It was expensive. It'd be a trophy to what I have. But I broke what others would value to show what I really value. You know, Jesus made the prophetic proclamation that wherever the gospel would go in the world, this story would accompany it. Oh, man. Deeds that follow for an eternity. This woman's righteous act of her heavenly value. That story has been being told for 2,000 years and will be told for eternities to come. Can you imagine? Do you think she understood that when she did it? I watched my pastor sob his eyes out, giving away an ovation guitar. I recently told the story of how hard it was to give away a pocket knife. That's silly, but it's true. Harder than a car. Done both, and the pocket knife by far was harder. Some things will get recorded in the heavenlies forever. And some things are simply for your enjoyment now. It takes a discerning heart to know the difference. Are these things indignant or beautiful? See, you get to decide. I don't decide. You get to decide. Is it wrong for her to have the perfume? I don't decide. You get to decide. Is it wrong for her to waste it? I don't get to decide. You do. But I would like you to notice in this passage what Jesus said about it and what everybody else said. Judas Iscariot at that moment decided to betray Jesus. The Pharisees rebuked her harshly and they feigned religious duty. We we only had our eyes on the poor. That's why we're upset. But Jesus said what she did was beautiful. Let's just agree it's wasteful. Why is it wasteful? Well, it serves no prayer. It didn't feed anybody. I'm a very pragmatic person. I don't like to buy flowers because you buy them and they die. Buy seeds, go plant them. But then that takes a while to get the result, doesn't it? I am a pragmatic person and to watch something expensive poured out on the ground would bother me. And yet something is beautiful in the gospel about what would otherwise be wasteful because it showed what she valued. Saints, I want a heart like that. That when I'm wasteful, it's not to indulge my fleshly appetites. When I'm wasteful, it's because I wanted to go exorbitantly above and beyond for heaven. I care about the kingdom, and I pray that you care about it too. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. 
Say there when there. Here comes the fifth verse. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Man, that is so beautiful that it would be easy just to read over. We were in darkness We were in Ur of the Chaldees. We were outside the fellowship of the saints. And he brought us a revelation, a revelation that is to be treasured, a revelation that is to be spent for heaven's sake. He brought us a revelation of who he is. And it has begun to change everything about our lives so that a man who has been touched by heaven should never again Go back to the old way of life, but instead be chasing after heavenly things. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. How did the life of Jesus get revealed in a jar? (laughs) I bet something in that woman had to die to give that away. I bet she cherished it. It may have actually been a family heirloom. It may have been something so special. If the Bible calls it costly, I bet it was costly. And I bet she sat in the valley of Jehoshaphat decision, contemplating, would the Lord really want me to do that? I, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, she probably had all the questions that they accused her of. But then she put it to death. And as that jar broke something of the life of Jesus could be seen in it. How? Because you could see heavenly value. And it was such a beautiful story that Jesus said, wherever my gospel goes, this will be told. Well, now let's not talk about jars of perfume. Let's talk about your life. How do people see heaven in it? How do they see the treasure housed in a jar of clay? There's got to be something breaking in there. There has to be those moments where you're like, Lord, what you're asking me to do is so hard, I can't do it without crying. Lord, I'm too weak. I can't do it. Lord, I'm ashamed. I can't do it. Lord, who am I to do it? And he says, do it anyway. And something in you is breaking, being crucified. And as you accomplish what he's calling you to do, people go, no ordinary person does something like that. That has to be the treasure of heaven residing in a jar of clay. Oh, deeds like that, friends, they'll be recorded for an eternity. You know, we're about to have a Super Bowl. And I've noticed a Super Bowl is all the rage. I used to go to the kind of churches that would turn these screens into Super Bowl presentations, shut down services early, provide child care. 
for you to come worship the pigskin floating over the gridiron. Good Lord, I guess that'll happen this next week for people, won't it? Sorry. If you're here next week, it won't be such a convicting story. But I bet you can't tell me who played in the Super Bowl 25 years ago, what their stats were. You know why? It doesn't matter for a decade, much less a hundred years, and certainly not thousands of years. But an act like a broken spirit before the Lord, it matters for eternities, eternity, eternity. We praise men for playing children's games all of their lives and we lift them up as heroes. And the things that are praised among men are not valued by God at all. But a little guy in India that's been barefoot most of his life but has the faith of a lion. Oh, heaven knows his name. Oh, saints, we get to decide what we think about those alabaster jars. This brings me to Home Depot or Lowe's. That's an essential question. Home Depot or Lowe's, are we breaking things or are we fixing things? This pastor spends a bunch of time in Home Depot and in Lowe's. And you see two kinds of people there. You see the kinds that have their little clipboard and they're happy because they're picking out stuff because they're building something. And you see the people there with broken pieces standing in the plumbing aisle going, is it inside or outside diameter? Is it compression fittings? Is it coarse threads or fine threads? Because something's broken. And we have that kind of question. Are we building or breaking? And I say both. It's in our brokenness that God is building something. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. Say there when you're there, we're going to find the sixth chapter. In the sixth chapter, pick up with me in the 10th verse. We have had the ark of God in Philistine territory. God has gone behind enemy lines. The living God's presence is among the Philistines. And in verse 10, they decide to send it back. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and pinned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart along with it. The chest containing the gold rats and the models of tumors. That's a long story. Then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemeth, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemeth. Now the people of Beth Shemeth were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at its sight. I would submit to you today that God values you more than a cow. Somebody say amen. amen. I preached this message one time and called it holy heifers. My wife made me change it to holy cow. She said I wasn't allowed to say heifer. God values you more than cows. 
but he put his presence on a cart carried by cows. And the cows didn't turn to the left or right. They were obedient. They kept on the straight and narrow. And when I preached this message all those years ago, I said they were lowing all the way. They were making the gospel proclamation. Of course, it's hard to tell with a cow lowing. I looked up the word lowing today. Lowing is the characteristic sound that a cow makes. Thanks, that helps a lot. It's like, what does the fox say? The characteristic sound that a cow makes. Well, is that edifying, building? Or is that broken, destroying? Were they praising or complaining? I thought about it today, and I bet they were just like us, carrying the glory of God but whining all of the time about how hard their lives were and what all they had to do for the Lord. I hope they were praising. Only heaven knows whether it is your complaining or your praising in the recesses of your heart. I guess it has to do with their character, doesn't it? Because lowing is the characteristic sound that a cow makes. If they had good character, then it was probably praising. If they had bad character, it was probably complaining. Do you know what happens in the next verse, though? The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. Somebody say that's sad. And it's the destiny of every Christian. We carry the glory of God upon our shoulders, whether praising or complaining, our destiny is the death of the flesh so that our spirit might live. There is no way to Jesus except through the crucifixion of the cross. There's not. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, I wish the Lord wanted it in one brave action. I wish you could be a spiritual John Wayne and just take your stand today and then the last stand at the Alamo when it's over. But it's not. It's many alabaster jars, one right after another for the rest of your life, as many things as you can find because it shows His Lordship. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'd have rather given every dollar I had, which sometimes is nothing and other times is thousands, than have to make some phone calls in my life. I have gotten in a car and driven an hour north of here with my knees and hands trembling and my voice quivering and my eyes blinded by my own tears, asking the Lord not to make me do what he was asking me to do. But it's in all of those moments of brokenness that he builds something in you. It's when you actually get raised in glory. It's being pressed into the earth. I would submit to you that Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. That we have a holy mandate to have a right attitude about what God is asking of us. You know, it doesn't say a thing about what the woman's demeanor was like. It doesn't say whether she came in skipping, whether she came in excited, rejoicing hilariously with her offering or whether she had to drag herself in. But at the end of the day, she did it. That's the place to start. 
But if you really want God to receive you, you have to learn to do the difficult things with a joyful heart because it's where your treasure is. Amen? Can y'all bear to look at a couple more scriptures with me? I couldn't think about Home Depot or Lowe's without thinking about an exchange program. Now, your mind might have trouble following me here, but I started off with a treasury, and I started thinking about broken things because anything I've ever treasured eventually broke. Al, it's the Ford trucks. And after the broken things, I started thinking about Home Depot or Lowe's because Home Depot or Lowe's is usually where I'm at when something is broken. And after Home Depot or Lowe's, I couldn't help but think about the exchange program because I often buy parts I don't need and I end up taking them back for the ones that I do. Amen, Charlie? Yes. Anybody's ever worked on plumbing knows that's true. Here's God's exchange program. Turn with me to Isaiah. Look at 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Oh, man, that's a good thing to say. Say it out loud with me. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Oh, man, that opens up a whole realm of possibilities. If God's Spirit is on you, what can you not do? If God's Spirit is on you, what do you not have? If God's Spirit is on you, what else matters? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the displaying of his splendor. Just a casual reading of these verses say, if you are mourning, there's something that God has for you. If you are covered in ashes, there's something God has for you. If you're in despair, there's something God has for you because in your brokenness, he wants to display his splendor. God's exchange program is that he will take your ashes and give you something beautiful in return. You know, an amazing thing about ashes here lately, it's been cold. I found out you can burn two by fours. Uh, you can burn wet rounds. You can burn split rounds. You can burn oak. You can burn pecan. What else we light on fire? Christmas trees. We've been burning everything in our backyard. It's easier than moving it. Whether it's expensive like ivory or cheap like pine, It all eventually turns to ashes. The living God takes our ashes and gives us something beautiful. But what has to happen to get ashes is got to die and burn up. 
You know, that alabaster jar was broken a long time before she came and broke it at his feet. It was broken the moment she decided it was for him and not for her. My life was broken a long time before the wreck that you see me as today. It was broken the moment that I fell on the rock that is Christ. I cling to him because he's higher than me. And from that point forward, whatever there would be in my life would be because he built it and not because of me. If you really believe this, that he took your ashes and is giving you something beautiful, it creates in us something new. I promise you haven't seen this before. Go to Genesis 18 and verse 27. Abraham is pleading with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. See the realization that the great man of faith was actually just like the rest of us. Nothing more than dust and ashes caused him to cry out for those lives still in Sodom and Gomorrah. When you know where you were and what God has done with you, you begin to care about everybody else who has not yet experienced it. It's a spirit of intercession that marks the believer. You show me a believer who's unconcerned with the lost and I will show you one who is serving something other than the treasury of heaven. But when you begin to treasure what God treasures, every life in Sodom was valuable to you. All the way down to arguing with God about five lives. And you need to know the heart of our God was that if there were five, he would have spared the city. You know why? He values you. He values you more than you know. And the church often does a poor job of showing you the ways in which God values you. We say believe what we say and not what we do. But Jesus himself said, unless I do what my father does, don't believe me. I'm here to tell you that this church is going to perform out there what we've practiced in here. We're going to find what Galatians 5, 6 says is true. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We are going to show people the practical love of God because that's where the treasure is. The only natural place to go after the exchange program and broken things and all of that is where we're going to close. It's with God's lift kit. You might need a four-inch lift, Michael. He recently got his Chevy stuck. Okay, it was actually me driving this Chevy. And it was stuck, wasn't it, Nick? Stuck. Stuck in the mud in the mire, and so was I. But a hand reached down and pulled me out. In this case, a Ford reached out and pulled him out. I had so wished there would be a Dodge around that got stuck. Steve, we'll have to go travel sometime. Lift kit. Turn with me to Acts 3. Say there when you're there. In Acts 3, we find a good three-foot lift kit. 
Acts 3, starting in verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going in the temple courts. Smart guy. That's where I would beg if I were begging. At 3 in the afternoon, they're going to pray a prayer called the Amada the afternoon prayer in Judaism, all the way back to Babylon. Emphasize alms to the poor and the miraculous power of God. Somebody say smart guy. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. It's always good when brothers are in agreement. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. Why? He's called of God. Why? If what the prosperity pimps say is true, why does he not have any? Because he didn't value it at all. But what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk taking him by the right hand. Say it with me. He helped him up. He helped him up. This is God's lift kit. We need a heavenly hand that values what you can become more than what you are right now. See, the church says, if you give me some silver and gold, I'll leave you just as you are and we'll pretend everything's okay. I say that real men of God will speak to you about what you actually need. You know, the man couldn't stand right then, so they helped him to his feet. And guess what? He stood. And then his feet became strong. And then he went to go praise. Study it out. It was stages of salvation. In faith, he took the hand offered him. And God's hand and his faith rose him to his feet. And then he became strong. In Louisiana, we said, strong. And he began to carry the testimony everywhere. This is a man who has learned to treasure something. What did he ask for? He wanted money, but he got something worth so much more. Oh, saints, the lift kit we need is not more mastery of money. It's not more accumulation. It's to learn to walk hand in hand with God. While we're in the fourth chapter, here comes our second to last scripture. It's verses 1 through 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail the next day until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. What were they preaching? In 
Jesus, there will be a resurrection of the dead. They were not preaching in Jesus. You will find self-help in Jesus. You will find happiness and everything your heart desires. Vote for Pedro. In Jesus, you will find 365 confessions of wealth and an escalade at the end of a rainbow. They were preaching in Jesus, the dead live. And they had just demonstrated it by taking a man who wanted money and teaching him to walk with God. Oh, come on, saints. Our last scripture for you, Matthew, would you come up here is Revelation 14. And 13, if you don't have this one marked, I'm going to ask you to think, think seriously about it. Do you admire the woman with the alabaster jar? If you do, say, I do. I do. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Boy, that's not something the world would ever say. Never blessed to die. You avoid it at all costs. You proclaim that you're not scared until your last dime has been spent to keep you alive. They value their life to the end, but we value the life we give to the Lord, not the one we keep for ourselves. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes! Says the Spirit, they will rest from their work, for their deeds will follow them. The woman with the alabaster jar's deeds follow her to this day. Will yours make it out of the room? It's up to you. You can catch heaven's eye by valuing heavenly things. Jesus said, a man cannot serve two masters. He'll love one and hate the other. Our life and our deeds will tell the story. And if your trust in God prompts you in new directions, follow them. Oh, I wish that all God's people were prophets. I fully believe that this week the Spirit of God will show you where your alabaster jars are. And then what you do or don't do follows you through eternity. But obedience is always blessed. And I've never seen the man who was sorry he did too much for the Lord. Never seen that man. I've been trying to pour out my life for him for 21 years now. I know what it is to be at knife point, gun point, broke, foreign countries without the language. I know what it is to be desperate. And I stand before you today as blessed as a man can be. Your deeds are going to follow you for an eternity. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.